Hello, welcome back to the show. This is David Scales. A quick word before we get into the main portion of the show. This program is largely listener-supported with an assist from companies like Spy, Need Essentials, and Visla. And as a thank you to listeners who contribute, we're giving away a surfboard. This month, anyone who contributes via surfsplendorpodcast.com slash donate will be entered to win an R-Series soft top from Almond Surfboards. They are high-performance, fully recyclable soft tops that are made in America and have Futures Fins quad boxes. So really rad, high-performance soft tops from Almond. You can pick one up right now at almondsurfboards.com or donate to this show in the month of August, and we will pick one lucky winner on September 1st. You'll only be responsible for shipping. Thank you for your support, and without further ado, enjoy today's show. You might be wondering, what's he going to do now? Well, it's probably no surprise to anyone, but I'm going to go surfing as much as I can to as many new places I can find. I want to experiment with different equipment and enjoy a fresh approach. But the main goal is one I've been working on for a while. That is to be a better person, a reliable friend, a loving son and brother, and raise awareness for the challenges facing our environment. I reckon that will keep me pretty busy. Fanning was born in Sydney, Australia on June 13, 1981, the youngest of four boys. He first surfed at the age of five and was fully committed by age 12. He and fellow Coolangatta surfers Joel Parkinson and Dean Morrison began competing and established their reputation on a national level. He secured sponsorship with Rip Curl and began traveling to surf. Then, on August 14, 1998, When Mick was 16 years old, he and his older brother Sean and fellow surfer Joel Green were at a birthday party. Sean and Joel decided that they were going to leave the party with their girlfriends, so they offered Mick a ride home. Mick opted out as he was planning to stay at a friend's house that evening. Sadly, Sean and Joel never made it home. They'd been laying in the back of a station wagon while one of their girlfriends drove them home when she lost control of the vehicle and ultimately crashed into a tree, throwing both Sean and Joel from the vehicle. Mick was among the first to receive the tragic news, and he had the burden of sharing it with his family. Grief-stricken, he didn't leave his room for four days. Quote, everyone knew I hadn't been out of the house, and when I finally went surfing, all of my mates appeared out of nowhere and paddled out with me. Every single one of my mates was there. Everyone was screaming and hooting. I was still so overwhelmed by the whole thing. I didn't do a single turn the entire surf. I just cruised straight along the wave, feeling the familiar comfort and pulse of the wave under my feet. It felt so wild to surf again. Reconnecting with surfing changed me. Sean and I were going to do the pro tour together. That was our dream. End quote. Oh, that city music. And so, at the young age of 16, Mick tapped into a heightened focus. The following year, he won the Australian National Pro Junior title. Two years later, in 2001, he was gifted a wildcard entry into the Rip Curl Pro at Bells Beach. He won the event and dedicated the win to Sean. He would also go on to win the World Qualifying Series and secure a spot on the World Championship Tour. 
The next year, in 2002, he won the Rookie of the Year Award, the J-Bay event, and finished fifth in the world. The following year, he finished fourth. In 2004, Reef introduced a signature sandal with Mick, the one with the bottle opener embedded on the sole. It would go on to become the single best-selling product ever produced by the surf industry, selling 11 million pairs, generating half a billion dollars in revenue, and netting Mick a cool $2,750,000 to date. That same year, Mick seemed destined for a world title battle with Andy Irons and Kelly Slater. Unfortunately, he was thwarted by a mistimed floater on an overhead right in Indonesia. Upon attempting to land, Mick felt something snap in his leg. When he came up from the wipeout, he looked down to his right thigh to see a big ball of tissue clumped under the skin. His hamstring muscle had torn completely clean off the bone. Enduring excruciating pain, Mick hopped three different flights before finally making it back home to the Gold Coast for surgery. Doctors sliced his butt cheek open, peeled it back, drilled a metal hook into his butt bone, and then sewed his ligament onto the hook. He was out of the water for six months. His first event back was the Quicksilver Pro at his home break on the Gold Coast. He won it just as the loss of his brother Sean sharpened his focus on becoming a World Championship Tour competitor. His nearly career-ending injury highlighted the importance of physical health and training. Mick ditched the fast food, skipped parties, and dedicated himself to training. During my rehab, I began to understand my body and myself better than ever. I wanted to be a world champion. I became obsessed with the goal. 2007 was the year it all came together. On the day I won my first world title in Brazil, there was a dolphin out there in the lineup. It wasn't part of a pod, it was just a single dolphin cruising around solo and kept popping up during my heats. I felt the presence of my brother Sean. That day I became the first Australian to win a world title since Oki eight years earlier. The greatest of all time, Kelly Slater handed me the title trophy. It was the pinnacle of my career and I got to dedicate it to my brother. He won a second world title in 2009, narrowly beating his childhood mate, Joel Parkinson. In 2013, the world title would be decided at Pipeline, and only two surfers were in contention. Kelly Slater, vying for his 12th world title, and Mick Fannin. Mick needed to make the semis to secure his third title. The event was blessed with flawless 8-10 to foot surf. Mick found himself in the quarterfinals surfing against Wildcard and fellow countryman Yaden Nickel. Yaden had Mick up against the ropes. With a minute and 40 seconds left on the clock, Mick needed a 9.57. A giant set appeared on the horizon, capped on the second reef. Mick spun, paddled, rolled into the thing, faded a bottom turn, and then pulled in as the wave tapered perfectly down the reef, where it blew Mick out with the spit onto the sandbar. Mick earned a 9.7, and with it, his third world title. In 2015, Mick was in peak form. He had already won one event and found himself in the finals at J-Bay, an event he had already won three times before. Four minutes into the heat, as Mick waited for a wave, staring at the horizon, his life course was immediately altered. For last season, as you look at Fanning on the rankings, oh, you can see a little splash. Oh. 
Holy shit. Excuse me. Looks like Fanning needing, Fanning needing some assistance. He's swimming into the beach. As we sound the horn to stop the final. Fanning still swimming on his own right to the assistance of the jet skis. He'll hop on the sled and reset. So climbing up with his own ability as he keeps his head down. Fanning with a thumbs up, he is okay. Rushing to the water safety. His leash chewed off as he shakes this one off. And the water safety on hand as Mick catches his breath. Wilson also out of the lineup with Peter Mel. Once again, the final is paused. But a big sigh of relief seeing Fanning in one piece. You know, Mick did exactly what he what he's supposed to do. Get himself away from the board. Obviously, the, the shark was interested in his uh, his board. Uh, got tangled up in his leash, and that was a, a very scary situation. Yeah. Um, can, can you give us a little bit of a, a rundown of what it would happen? <laughs> I was just sitting there. I was just about to like just start moving, and then I felt something grab, like got stuck in my leg rope, and I like instantly just just jumped like away and then he just kept coming at my board and I just was like kicking and screaming and wow. <laughs> see some teeth? You get some teeth? I just saw fins. I didn't see the teeth. I was, I was waiting for the teeth to come at me as I was swimming. I was like, ah! Did you get a couple punches in? I punched it in the back, yeah. Jules, you had one wave, then explain the scenario that unfolded in the lineup. Yeah, it was pretty spooky. Um, I got the first wave of the, of the heat and then I was kind of down where I wanted to be sitting for the heat and Mick was kind of in no man's land so I was really watching him and he was kind of sitting on his board and I was like oh if a wave can come right now then I, and I was really like just had my eyes on him and he was like kind of looking down the point more and like literally like saw the whole thing pop up behind him and I was like I haven't been emotionally yet but I couldn't even talk about it. M mate, um, one of the, the comments that, that Mick made was rather than paddle towards the beach, he was motioning you to make your way in. You started paddling towards Mick, um, obviously a good friend and a, a pretty hard situation there for you. Yeah, it was like it came up and he was wrestling it. I saw the whole thing and then saw he got knocked off his board and then like a little wave popped up and I was like, oh, he's gone, like, he's, he's gone under. And I like, I felt like I couldn't get there quick enough. I came over the wave and his board was over here and he was swimming that way and I was like, oh no, it's gonna just grab him and take him under. And I, I was like, I got a board, if I get there I can stab it, whatever, I got a weapon and I don't know, I just, yeah. And then he started screaming, I was like, and then I remembered that the boats and stuff were there and I was like, we both just started screaming. I was like paddling for him, but yeah, it's just yeah, really we, happy that he's here. Mate, I'm happy to not even compete ever again. <laughs> like seriously, like to to walk away from that, I'm just just so stoked. And oh man, oh. mate, I'm tripping. I was like on the boat. I was I was sort of. I think it was just all the adrenaline. I was sort of like just tripping, and then I saw Ace and. And Jared and 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 Fletch and and that's when it all just kicked in and then I saw the footage. I'm just tripping, but yeah, I'm I'm totally fine. I'm got nothing wrong with me. There's like a small depression in my board and just my leg rope got bitten and I'm just like 
just totally tripping out. I was just cruising. I was sort of like just cruising, like just waiting for my turn, my opportunity. And, and you know, I knew Julian was down the point and And, yeah, I sort of like, I felt like I was just about to start moving and get going. Like just start paddling again. And, and then all of a sudden I, I don't know, I just had this instinct that someone was behind me. And then, and then all of a sudden I felt my, it started getting pulled underwater. And then the thing came up and I was on my board and it was like right there I saw the like the whole thing just thrashing around but I was getting dragged under by my leg rope and then and then I felt like it like it kicked me off but then it was still there going and I was still attached to my board and I felt like I punched it a couple of times and then and then it was dragging me I felt like it was just dragging me underwater and then all of a sudden my leg rope broke and I was like all right <laughs> just start swimming I was swimming and screaming and I was yelling at Jules to move as well, but he was coming at me, little legend, just like coming after me. And and uh, and then it was just like, I was like swimming in and then I just turned around and I think, I, like I just had this thought, what happens if it comes to another go at me? And so I just turned around so I could at least see it coming. And then before I knew it, the, the boat was there, the jet skis were there and we were in safety. And yeah, I just can't believe it. Amazingly, Mick soldiered on through the rest of the season and was set to clinch his fourth world title at Pipeline. The event was again blessed with amazing surf, and in what would be the best heat of the entire season, Mick beat both Kelly Slater and John John Florence in a round four super heat. Not really, um, I don't know. It's like, you know, when you're paddling out against John John and Kelly, two of the greatest tube riders, um, it was just. I just tried to, I know, I was just like, oh, well, if the waves come, they come, and, you know, I just do my best, and um, I guess I got it. <laughs> yeah, it's been a huge day. Um, yeah, just got some personal stuff going on at home, and um, just, yeah, it's sort of heavy to talk about right now, but, um, yeah, I don't know, I'm just sort of just cruising and just, yeah, just trying to, trying to live. That morning, the actual morning of the finals, the morning that would decide his fourth world title, Mick was awoken with a knock on the door from his mother, who was in tears. She delivered the news that Mick's oldest brother, Pete, had passed away. I was so thankful I caught up with Pete just a couple of months before that final event. He rarely revealed his feelings, but he told me his favorite thing to do was watch me compete. He told me he was proud of me and that he loved me. The morning I found out he had passed away, friends were comforting me and telling me I didn't have to go out if I wasn't up to it. I knew what Pete would want. To win the world title, I had to place ahead of Adrian D'Souza. I was up for the challenge, but had to overcome the two greatest pipe surfers of all time in Kelly Slater and John John Florence to stay in contention. The waves were firing, we all had excellent rides. Looking back on my career now, I think that heat with John and Kelly was the pinnacle for me. Kelly is the greatest of all time, and John is without question the best surfer in the world right now. That heat win was the hardest and most satisfying of my career, and no heat from then on could match its insignificance or my desire to win. It's the moment I'm most proud of in my career, and the ultimate dedication to my big brother. I won the heat, but lost the title to Adriano. Losing the title didn't hurt. At the end of the day, I only had Pete in my thoughts. The perspective experience from the shark incident was nothing compared to losing a brother on the eve of a world title showdown. After the heat, I discovered all my best friends from home had heard the news about Pete and flew over to support me. 
I'd lost but realised in life I was winning. In 2016, Mick announced that he needed a break and that he'd only be competing in select events. He decided on a special appearance, a return to J-Bay, the location of his shark encounter. And on that occasion, he won the event for the fourth time. He committed to the full season for 2017, but he knew that he didn't really have the steely competitive drive required to really contend for the world title. So in 2018, he announced that he'd be officially retiring from competitive surfing. And his final event would be stop number three, Bells Beach the site of his first ever championship tour win and an event that he had already won four times. Mick paced himself through the entire event, looking relaxed yet surgical and precise, taking down mates Owen Wright and Matt Wilkinson as he set up a fairy tale ending to a spectacular career. He found himself in the final with Idolo Ferrer. If Mick were to win, he'd set a record for five Bells trophies and he'd retire his career in first position. 9.30 to go. Fanning trying to improve on a 3.33 and extend that lead and put the pressure on the young Brazilian. Carving through these turns. Champions always find a way to win. Mick Fanning, one of the best at it here at Bells Beach. Ferreira, he's going to have a look at this one. Itulo locks in, looks to better a 6-3-3. First turn, real quick through the roof. Thin blast through the backwash. Big vertical down the stretch. Now starting to push even harder. Into a really fun, rippable section on the inside corner. Squares up vertically and shuts that one down. (laughs) Well, asking the question. Come on, give me some support, he says. 6.33, Joe. That'll push that requirement. And there it is. Witnessing a special moment in surfing history. There are moments in sport that you'll never forget. Sometimes you're dreaming of the fairy tale ending. Win or lose, we still got it. Italo Ferreira. Is a Rip Pro Pro Bells Beach champ sharing the lineup with Mick Fanning in his send-off? Wow. Fanning asking the crowd to get behind Italo in that performance. What an all-time great. Knowing that was his last moment of his career, and Italo gets to share the water. Not just that, take the big bell. Fanning leaves us with memories. He leaves us with Oh, that city music. Oh, that city sounds. Oh, that city music. Oh, it's coming right. I'm going to open with an email from a listener, actually. So a listener emailed and said, hey, I agree with your idea that functionally Kelly is retired. 
His competitive drive knows no bounds and is relentless. From ping pong to poker to golf to pro surfing, his need to win is frankly terrifying. When he no longer was able to win the world title, he upped his mental warfare and crushed Adriano's world title celebration by unveiling Surf Ranch the very next day and dominating news feeds. The Coolie kids have been chafing under his geriatric thumb for two years. Can you imagine how many more world titles Joel and Mick might have won if Kelly had seen a therapist and made peace with his I must win everything inner demons? I propose that Mick figured out a way to beat Kelly one last time. The way Mick retired after the final at Bells proved without a doubt that he does not need approval from the WSL, his fellow surfers, the surf media, the nation of Australia, or even the world. It was an incredible expression of inner confidence and peace. Mick beat Kelly at retiring. He crushed him. He walked away at the top of his game, emotionally sober and content. Kudos, Mick. You won. <laughs> That's a bit deep. How's that? <laughs> that was deep. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, sort of gobsmacked. <laughs> well, I thought what he made as a joke, I actually thought was a really salient point, and I wanted to get you to chime in on, which was the idea of a therapist. He was joking about Kelly, but I've never actually heard of any CT surfers um, seeing a sports psychologist, and it's a interesting thing how everybody talks about how important headspace is when you're competing at that level and being kind of in the right headspace and nearly all other sports leagues have sports psychologists either on staff or available for athletes do you know of anybody on the on the tour that works with um yeah i I personally did oh you did um yeah um and yeah look i think there was a there's a few different guys that would would see a sports therapist just something that you just wouldn't bring up right um you know it's sort of private sessions <laughs> sure. so um yeah it wasn't something that you sort of would leak out in the media but um yeah no i was for me personally um you know from yeah 2000 it was i think first saw one in 2009 no probably even a little bit earlier than that but um Yes, had a, a, a um, someone that I, I would speak to regularly from about two thousand nine on until the end of my career. So, um, yeah, it's it's. I think um, there's definitely someone. There's definitely other athletes that are, are using them for sure. Okay. Yeah. The reason I'm curious about it is um, I'm always trying to isolate the variable that leads to success on that level because you got guys like. Jack Freestone, Ethan Ewing, Leonardo Fioravanti, where they have all of the competitive accolade, like prior to the CT, winning juniors titles, all the talent in the world, and then they can't seem to figure it out on the CT level. They can't figure out the recipe for success. So if it isn't competitive savvy and world-class talent, what is that missing ingredient, you know? Um, Yeah, look, I, I I think with those guys sort of, could have been a few different things, you know. Um, you know, I think, it, you know, sometimes it could be something going on in the background or, um, you know, I, I think for, for for Ethan, he was, I think he was, I guess, not 100% sure of how good he actually was. Um, and it wasn't until, like, the last few events that he finally started winning heats and he started getting that confidence where at the at the start of the year it sort of felt like he um 
yeah, he was missing that confidence. Um, and and being so young coming on tour, it's it's definitely hard. Uh, totally. You know, when when I got on tour, you know, I had pretty much had my best mates on tour with me. You know, Dingo, Parker, Nathan Hedge, um, and so we had a pretty good core group that we could all bounce off. And then um, we had people that older guys that would really take us under their wing as well and on the on the world tour it, it is definitely you know one two percent can change so much you know you have a look at someone like matt wilkinson right now where i don't know how or why but he's just lost that little bit of confidence and you know he's gone from top five in the world to not even qualifying right now so it's definitely um it, it definitely that one two percent can change so much that's where that idea of that sports psychologist came in for me, which is like all signs point to headspace, mm. you know? And I, I know coaches serve that role to a certain degree. And I think with Wilkinson, you could attribute that to micro for sure. Like mm-hmm. as soon as he started working with micro, um, started winning events, you, the word coach implies that they're helping you improve your surfing, like they're coaching you on technique. But the more I've talked with people about it, it's more that they're there to provide support and almost the role that like a therapist would play, it seems. Yeah, poor guys. <laughs> <laughs> Playing double duty. Yeah, no. Um, look, I, I think, you know, for for what you explained then, you know, when I had my coach, Phil McNamara, on tour, we, we would focus on technique and we would oh, focus really? on, um, you know, improving in different areas actually in surfing um you know for for all the headspace stuff i'll go you know i would talk to him about it and he definitely was um definitely helped me out a lot um when time sort of got a little bit tough here and there um but that wasn't his role his role was you know working on surfing and working on technique um but yeah i think i think different different coaches approach it differently as per surfer you know some people some some surfers just need someone to just clear their head and just right. you know concentrate on one or two things per heat where others um you know for me personally i would i would like a lot of information before i paddled out and then i would sift through the stuff that i needed and and um and just sort of as a you know, if I had all that info, then I could just turn and turn on the two to three things that I think would I would concentrate on. But yeah, I would I would get as much info as I possibly could. Um, but yeah, look, it, it it's hard. Um, you know, I, I'm I remember times when I would, you know, when everything's just flowing right, you just feel untouchable, and then all of a sudden you just lose your confidence, and you're just like how do I get this back? I know what to do right or whatever. And, and just, you know, just little things um, can just create doubt in your mind, you know, if you, if you don't believe in your board or you don't believe in, um, say, the, the work outside you're doing or, right. you know, or, or it could even be, um, you know, some people having to, buy a house or something sure. like that you yeah, know exactly. it just just put on extra stress so um yeah i i definitely believe the mind plays a lot um and yeah those one two percents will can change you know a good year to yeah. a bad year like that i look at 
like this year with a rookie, rookies on tour, Wade Carmichael and um, Griffin Colapinto specifically. There's like a grit and a raw determination that you have to develop if you don't have a network of sponsors and coaches and all this stuff bringing you up. And so when those things that you're talking about present themselves like buying a house, you're maybe more equipped to like handle that and then compartmentalize it and focus on the job at hand because you've had to travel the tour, the QS by yourself for countless years. And so I was wondering if that element of success on the world tour is directly related to just that grit. You know, like we see with the Brazilians coming up with nothing, inferior equipment and all that and still succeeding. What what are your thoughts on the idea that maybe those luxuries undermine the grit and kind of the work ethic that's actually required to win world titles, you know? Yeah, definitely. You've got to have grit if you want to be winning world titles, you know? Uh, you know, you, you brought up the Brazilians and, um, you know, they're so hungry and they and that's why they're all doing so well, you know? Um, you have a look at someone, you know, like uh, when Gabe first came and won his first world title, you know, he was untouchable just because he was just that ice man. He wanted nothing else more in the world than to win that world title. And, and Adriano was the same where he would, um, you know, he was nonstop just, just grinding and grinding and then he finally got there. Um, and, yeah, you do need that grit. Um, someone like Wade Carmichael, he's always been that underdog story right. ever since he was a young kid, you know. He was winning um, World Pro Juniors and and then the next week he'd be losing his sponsor, you know. It, it was just, it just he was, he's always been that underdog guy. And I think he's, he's a pretty mature guy and um, a mature surfer once it comes to those waves on tour. Uh, the way he surfs is perfect for the main tour where it might have been harder through the QS. You know, you go back to someone like Poncho Sullivan when he got on tour, you know, he was perfect for it because he's had such big turns. So, you know, I think if you if you want to succeed at that high level, you've got to have grit. You know, when times get tough in, in competitions or whatever, you know, how, dig you, how deep are you really going to dig? And, um, you know, that... that that shows, I think it shows a lot of character. And, and I think also, too, if you know you're going up against someone that was, uh, you know, they would never give up, then you'd always have big heats with them, you know. For, for me, it was someone like Fred Patashi. We would always just battle because I knew how hard he wanted it and he wasn't going to give up and he knew I wasn't going to give up either. So, you know, we, we had battles all the time. It was pretty fun. <laughs> Did you see he just won the thrusters division in that Maldives? Oh, did event? he? Yeah. Sick. Yeah, Sick. Yeah. Just this weekend. Yeah, nice. Um, let's move on to kind of your post-CT life. Um, what does daily life consist of now? Um, oh, it changes. Every, it? every day is just so different. Um, it all depends. Um, you know, just in the, like, the last two weeks I was home, I went from doing, you know, charity work with the Starlight Foundation to you know, different photo shoots and then just switching my phone all off and just going surfing. So it just, just changes whatever whatever um, is happening at the time. Um, probably the, the one main thing is that I don't, I don't lock myself in. I don't plan, plan uh, dates or anything like that. It's just, all right, um, if I'm there, I'm there. If I'm not, then, yeah, sorry. 
it's so, gotta be nice. Yeah, it's been good. It's been good. Do you enjoy surfing more or less, or does? I do. Yeah, I, I um, it's it's funny. You sort of when I was competing, um, you know, it was all based around competition. My surfing, so right. you know, my my surfs would be in half hour blocks or where now I could surf for 10 minutes and go in or if I'm really enjoying it I could stay out for two three hours so um it's just I don't put a block on anything it's just yeah. all right, whatever I'm feeling I'm not I'm not too concerned I think regardless of like what somebody's interested in I think we've all experienced how taking a break from something can kind of revitalize your passion for it and so I always worry about that with the guys on the CT it's like not only being forced to surf you know a lot throughout the course of the year but then once there's not an event you have obviously sponsor obligations where you probably got to go on surf trips and all that I could see a lot of value in removing yourself from surfing as a whole you know and then just getting revitalized for it Throughout my years, I would there would be times where I could just feel like the motivation wasn't there to go surfing, and so I would just I'll just shut my garage and and um, and not surf for ten days. I'd really really put a block on. Okay, you're not surfing for ten days, even if the waves are pumping. I'm like I'm not surfing because I just feel burnt out. Um, and um, you know I'd come back hungrier just because I had that time off and, and just refresh too. Um, you know, you sort of want to go and and you get that passion back in your surfing. You're actually, I don't know, I, I found I'd always be more enthusiastic and more aggressive when it came to actually being on the wave. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it, it's needed. Um, you know, and I, I would, there was, yeah, there was a few times in my career where I just had to stop and just, yeah, just shut up shop and say, no, right. it's time to have a break. Yeah. Know? When you look back at your competitive career, do you feel like there was anything that you left undone? I got to a point in my, you know, earlier in my career, I probably wasn't as focused as what I should have been. And, and I remember watching a heat and just feeling, and, and I could have won the heat, but I just... And I knew I wasn't prepared right and and I had this sinking feeling in my in my stomach and I made a um, a pact with myself I was like all right you're not going to have that feeling ever again and and so like later in my career I always felt like I, I went and did my best you know there's there's always times where you're like oh you should have just paddled that way or something sure. you know but that's just life yeah. um, but you know I'll go to sleep and put my head on the pillow and um, yeah I'd be you know, satisfied with what I'd done personally. Um, Good. Yeah, so it was it was definitely um, definitely something that uh, you have to work on for sure. Um, talking about that work-life balance, taking a break from surfing and all of that, did you feel or do you feel that your life was adversely affected at all by being on the tour all those years, like your personal life? Yeah, look, it, it's, it's like, uh, I guess it's like anyone's job <laughs> went into peaks and valleys. But um, it, um, yeah, look, there were, were, were times where I'd be on trips with a friend or someone and have a really good, you know, have really good bonding sessions or whatever. And then, and then there'll be other times where I felt extremely lonely and I felt like, you know, I had no one to talk to. Um, and so yeah it, it did go up and down but um you know i guess 
surfing is just something that we do. It's not who we are. Yeah. And, um, you know, we would get lost. Some people would get lost in that, in that world. It's like, all right, surfing is everything. Like, if I'm doing good at surfing, then everything else will fall into place, which is unrealistic. Totally. Yeah. How's your training regimen changed post-CT? I mean, obviously, I there feel like... There isn't one. <laughs> there isn't? Okay. I'm actually glad to hear that. Take a break. Yeah. You, I mean, you really made it cool or made it okay to have, to like introduce athleticism to the sport, I feel. No, look, I, I guess for me, like going back to what we were saying before, just like, you know, just being prepared. And that, that was the way I knew how to do it. You know, there was definitely times when I was on the beach and I was doing a workout or, or you know, doing a warm up and felt like an absolute dork. But, <laughs> but, um, it's yeah, commonplace now. Though. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, if you went back 10 years ago and you saw someone doing yoga on the beach, you'd be looking at him, you know, out the corner of your eye going, weirdo. Totally. Uh, <laughs> where now it's like, if every, every different surfer actually has a warm up and it's like, where, for me now, I you know I just go surf. I, oh really? Yeah, I you know I I'm I'm being pretty lazy this year when it comes to uh, working out and and you know stretching and stuff. So I, I should get better. <laughs> well, have you noticed any negative effect in your surfing or um, or just your health and the way you feel? I'm definitely more relaxed, but uh, <laughs> I guess it's more so just you know probably put on a little bit of weight but um bigger turns yeah hopefully (laughs) (laughs) um you're surfing in the cape fear event at shipsterns i've seen photos of you out there have you surfed it much i've only surfed it the one time oh really yeah um yeah i I went down with um a few mates went down with mark matthews and uh laurie towner was there and um and and hippo and and uh yeah, I had an epic time. I loved it. Um, Did you, know, you tow? Or? We we paddled at the start, and it wasn't that great for paddling, and then we just towed in. Okay. And, um, yeah, I had a ball. I, I absolutely loved it. Um, and then, yeah, when Red Bull asked me to go in, I was like, how big is it going to be? Because <laughs> I'm not super excited if it's going to be a million foot. But, um, yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm excited to go and do that event. Especially with... Um, the local lads down there are, are classic. They're such are good they? guys. Yeah, yeah. Just, just your soul of the earth surfers. You know, they're just they're they're really really fun to be around. So, uh, you know, when it runs, I I think it's going to be an epic day. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, we get some big old tubes. Are they mandating whether it's a tow or paddle event, or do they just? Make the decision on the day. Make the decision on the okay. day, yeah, yeah. So uh, I was psyched to see your name on the invite list. A buddy was reading the names to me, and he was like, don't you want to see, like, the Jamie O'Briens and all these other names? There's a lot of locals in the event. And I was like, honestly, I don't care who's in the event. Like, whoever can surf the wave mm. the best and puts on the best viewing experience is who I want to see surf it, you know? Yeah. So I was glad to see them include all the locals. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Like, those guys are the best guys out there. Are Um, they? Yeah. Um, And they're they're proper mad. Yeah. Classic. What you need to surf (laughs) that spot. But then, yeah, like, getting to watch guys like Laurie Towner out there is, you know, probably probably one of the most underrated big wave surfers on the planet. you know, when I surfed it with him, he was just next level amazing. Really? Yeah. That image from Cloudbreak 
um, that he got the cover shot yeah. this, like a month or two ago is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. It's like the best cover I've seen in a long time. Yeah, he, he's incredible. He's just one of those people that is just so mellow and just cruises around and it's like he's half asleep. But yeah. that's why he's so relaxed in those sort of waves. It's uh, Yeah, I love watching him surf and I love um, just hanging out with him in, in um, just to surf with, you know. Yeah, radical. Um, does doing that event, like a non-WSL-sanctioned sh- event, prevent you from surfing in WSL events? Like, if they offered you a wild card for a W... Um, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Would you accept a wild card for a CT event? And if so, which event would you do? Um, I, I thought about that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, not this year. <laughs> <laughs> you need, like, a full year off. Dude. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, I don't know. I, I'm sort of... Um, you know, now when I watch events, I actually really enjoy watching them. Do you? Yeah, and um, it, I, you know, I'm a really bad couch critic, but um, I really enjoy because I, I don't have this sinking feeling that oh, I've got to go and get ready for this event or something like that. I can just sit and watch and um, you know, just enjoy watching my mates and and just enjoy the the actual surfing that they're doing in the in the waves yeah would you be excited to surf this um surf ranch pro event um what are your thoughts on that yeah look i, I to me um you know i the events that we had done there for me personally this is you know i, I just couldn't get my head around it yeah um not in a negative way but i was just having too much fun i, mm. I couldn't get serious about it um and yeah so i i don't know how i would go if i was actually in that event i probably yeah. wouldn't wouldn't be able to like i'd be talking and you know and just not not focused on what was meant to be done um but yeah look the, then there's other guys that um you know we saw some guys in the founders cup that were just so on point with it all and it, it's it's um yeah, it's it's a it's a weird one for me, um, just from my personal experience. That um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to get my head around into actually competing for real CT points. But you know, other guys can. So it's it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Like it's such a fun wave to surf, undeniably. Mm. But competing in it is totally different. It's an arena atmosphere, obviously like Huntington is for the U S open, which is an entirely different style of competing and a different headspace that you have to be in. But the thing that I'm more curious about is like these Instagram clips are so commonplace nowadays. Mm-hmm. I see footage of surf ranch every single day so much so that I don't even watch them yeah. because it's monotonous. Yeah, you yeah know? Exactly, exactly. And, while it's a feat of engineering, it kind of highlights that what we really love in competition is spontaneity. Yeah, you know? definitely. And I look at the pipe event from last year where it's like 16 seconds left, Jeremy needs the score, and he gets a wave at backdoor, and you don't know if it's going to be the wave or not, and yeah. then you don't know how he's going to surf it or not, and he needs an eight, and then he gets it. And like that type of drama is all that we want. Like yeah. that is the moment we want. And so if you know you're going to get the wave and you know what the wave's going to do. I think for the viewer, it zaps a lot of the drama, you know, and the spontaneity. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see how they manage that. Yeah. Well, I, I find that after I've been there for a day or whatever, going back to the ocean, 
I just get way more excited to surf in the ocean. But look, it's incredible. I, I think I think the 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 race, you know, the, I guess the space race for for these wave pools. It's it's going to be it's going to be awesome. You know, it's it's only going to benefit surfing. Um, yeah. Going there and and when the Australian team went there and and did th- that week there, it was it was amazing to see how well people could improve really not only their technique but their you know just just the way that they read the wave was you know from when they first got in the pool to Mm. three days later leaving was incredible um you know the girls working on their tube riding and then the guys you know putting it all together was just it was really really cool and um so i think in that in that side of things it's it's awesome that we're going to see um surfing just you know grow a lot faster um but yeah i'm still i I just love the ocean (laughs) yeah you know i just as i said with the with all the different pools that are coming out too i think it's uh it's gonna be exciting have you surfed any of the others um i've only done the the wave garden but i haven't yeah haven't done the others yet so but it's you know it's it's all it's all fun and exciting so yeah um, I think it could also really help refine judging. Like judges can isolate how many milliseconds somebody's in a tube, mm. how high an air is. You could put a ruler along the side of the, you know, just measure stuff, which I think could be interesting. Yeah, you know, I guess you know that's what they do with with the X Games, yeah. with skateboarding and stuff like that. So totally. Yeah, there's, there's definitely benefits there. All of this is kind of designed by the WSL to access a non-surfing viewer, you know, to be able to predict, uh, not predict swell windows, but just give certain dates that an event's going to run, sell um, tickets to attend the event, all that sort of stuff. The WSLs had a hard time capturing that non-surfing viewer and growing beyond just the coastlines and what is the core surfer. Do you think that there's an actually a way to engage that elusive audience um, nobody's yeah. done it successfully yet no it, it's it's definitely hard it definitely is hard and you know there's there's been times where i've thought about um you know is it do we do we have to um you know be live on on the internet can we can we do it as you know finals day we just say it's going to be on live tv and no one says anything until that day but um i think that's the beauty of of where surfing is now is that it is so accessible um and that you can see all these things but um yeah i think i think you know the non-endemic surfers um i think they really they love the lifestyle and they love the you know what surfers do out in the ocean they're like blown away by it and um yeah it but it's like you know asking me how to judge ice skating or something like that it's it's so it's so uh it's yeah it's so personal to whoever's judging so it's always we're always going to have that uh it's not like a running race where it's like all right he won because he was the fastest exactly yeah in that sense, it makes me think that the most valid way to access that audience is things like the Cape Fear event, where it's just a spectacle. Like, mm. you don't have to know anything about surfing to appreciate somebody getting whipped into one of those waves. Oh, know? yeah, definitely. It's a freak show. Yeah, and, you know, you see the big wave events, you know, 
the PR here event or whatever, yeah. you know, I, I'm just glued to the screen just watching these guys. Totally. Um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's always going to be, it's always going to be difficult, but, um, you know, I, I think, I think the WSL itself is, um, you know, they're making good moves, um, you know, and they're, they're looking towards a future, which is awesome. You know, there was a, a long period of time there where it was sort of just, I felt it was almost just, everyone was just monotonous just doing the same thing over and over again and and uh so look I'm, I'm happy to see change if if it gets more people involved but um also too you don't want to lose the beauty and the essence that is there already do you feel like they have the right people in place to um achieve their end goal because like how many surfers are there actually running the organization I feel like you don't, you're right. You don't want to lose the beauty of what it is, but you kind of need surfers in the offices to make sure that that doesn't get lost. You know? Yeah, definitely. You know, I, you know, most people that I know that work for WSL all surf. They so, do. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's a bonus. Good. I think <laughs> but, it's important. Yeah. Especially when they're traveling to all these amazing places around the world. Totally. <laughs> totally. Is there any way that you feel like they were underserving the athletes when you were on tour? Um, look, I, I think I think the WSL and and since it was taken over by um, you know the Zoo family, um, they've been really pro athlete. Really, yeah, okay. and I think they do a great job of um, you know really looking after the athletes, really making sure that um, the athletes get what they ask for. Um, you know, you can't have everything, but um, you know, there were times back in the day when they used to be ran by just events where, you know, it might be a billabong event um, and all the billabong athletes would get extra look after. And then the rip curl event, all the all the, us our rip curl guys would get really looked after. And, and then there would be people with no sponsors and they're just like, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, look, I, it's definitely changed in that sense. And I, I think it's a lot fairer across the board. Good. For all surfers, and uh, yeah, they they definitely do look after the athletes. Cool, because we don't hear any like from the viewer side, we don't hear any of that. Like yeah. the only thing we hear is you guys got a locker room. We yeah, did yeah, that yeah, before, yeah. you know. And so you can so you can punch your locker without yeah. anyone saying. Uh, <laughs> no, they they do they do Good. really look after us, and um, you know everything from medical to right. You know they're always there if if something happens. Um, you know, they're, they're always there to support. So they do do a great job. Cool. Um, I want to get your picks for the world title this year, men's side and women's side. Who do you mm-hmm. got? Um, yeah, look, I, I think the men's is probably a, a, a two-horse race at this stage. Um, you know, Philippe and, and Julian. Um, but, you know, you, you can never count Gabe out. You know, he could just start on a run right now. And go, he does. Yeah. The back half of the year, he always does. Yeah. I think I think this Chopu event will be uh, huge to see how Philippe does. And if he does get a good result here, then, uh, yeah, I'm sure that's going to be huge for his confidence going into those last events of the year. Um, but, yeah, you know, at this stage, it's looking, you know, all the chips are falling in Philippe's way. Um, on the women's side, um, I really feel feel like Steph has improved in you know for her to get results in Brazil and, and Huntington, um, 
you know, that that's huge for her. Two events that she normally always just did terrible at. Right. Um, so I think that's a huge confidence for her. Um, so, yeah, I think she's going to be pretty hard to beat coming into the, the back end. Yeah. Uh, I'm going for Lakey just because <laughs> I love and the underdog story. You oh, know? yeah, definitely. Like, it's so great to see her back in form. But, yeah, Steph kind of pulled away. Mm. in hb but you know things can change super quick you know yeah um courtney looks on fire like her coming back from injury she looked on fire in huntington too so she could mix it up yeah with them yeah and especially i think that's the other thing too with with the tours these days um you may as you can't really count on guys making quarters every single event so oh guys or girls you know it's it's hard um so yeah it's definitely um it's definitely exciting, and uh, yeah, it's going to definitely be uh, a, a fun end to the year. Did you see Julian lost round two? I saw that today. I was rattled. Such a bummer. <laughs> yeah. It was ridiculous, too. He only got one wave. Who would you love to do a surf trip with? Um, thousands of people. <laughs> Got to pick one. <laughs> Got to pick one. Um, I've, been, I've been thinking about, um, yeah, getting the, the three degrees band back together oh my god 330 degrees that's how old we are <laughs> um but yeah get dingo and joel um on a trip would be pretty fun but yeah i've been having so much fun with mason it's been pretty hilarious he's awesome oh he's amazing so good yeah. such a good contrast too between your guys personalities <laughs> yeah you know? i was gonna vote for Vra- uh frankie oberholzer yeah he would bring him be back awesome. for a search event oh it'd be amazing it'd be amazing uh frankie's such a good dude is he yeah what surf media do you consume nowadays? Do you actually subscribe to magazines? Do you have any websites that you check regularly? No. None? <laughs> no. Interesting. Um, I just check forecasts and that's about it. Um, what about, um, do you get surf media through Instagram? Uh, like do you check Insta all the time? Yeah, I'll, I'll check it on Instagram, but um, yeah, I don't really get sucked into it. I just The one mag that I... I get every month just because it gets sent to me but i'll actually read it is um is surfing world um but yeah other than that i don't really interesting yeah you tend to ride or throughout your career anyways high performance thrusters i've seen an occasional twin fin if if you can kind of grab any board from anybody on the planet at this point what would you be interested in riding well i just got a new mr20 but um because of mason no, he copied oh. me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, probably the one board that I keep looking at um, right now is um, Simon Anderson's original uh, thruster. Really? Yeah, one of the old retro ones. Is he uh, making a retro version yeah, of those? Yeah, yeah. No. So uh, I keep looking at those and I hit him up, but he never got back to me. So. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> try to pull some strings for you yeah i almost just walked into a shop and bought one yeah just, just uh but yeah i'll probably do it when i get home that'd be rad to see um final question for everybody interviewed is just what was the last surfboard that you rode last surfboard i rode was actually just a dhd 510 thruster yeah um, we had fun little waves at home at diva just the other day so uh, radical dude well thanks for the time no thank you yeah appreciate Cheers. it Went to hell, tell my peeps, all is well. All them fools, sold for sale, sitting next to just hell. Demons screaming in my head, on my head, on my bed. 
personal commentary on Mick Fanning and the role that he's played for me as a surfer over the past two decades. In the last couple of years of his competitive career, Mick became my favorite surfer, but he crept his way into that position. When I was younger and ravenously consuming surf content, he wasn't even in my top 10. My view of so many professional surfers through the years were always one-dimensional caricatures. Rob Machado's the style guy, Chris Ward is the badass, Sonny Garcia's the tough Hawaiian. Perhaps these were just media portrayals or marketing teams leaning into an athlete's personality. But what ended up endearing me to Mick over the years is the evolution of his persona. He was always a phenomenal surfer, but his worldview and his work ethic changed through the years. He was a hard partying youngster with an alter ego that was so well known that Rip Curl actually used his alter ego's name, which is actually Mick's middle name, but they used it in a profile film, Me, Myself, and Eugene. He evolved away from that Eugene character and into a three-time world champ, and just when I had embraced his new persona as a respectable, hardworking competitor, he shifted again. Through his successes, he opened up about personal struggles in a way that we're not accustomed to from celebrities. He talked with the press about his shark incident, his brother's passings, his failed marriage. His persona as a robotic competitor melted into a rich, meaningful, and colorful portrait that reflected what all of our lives look and feel like. Mick showed that winning world titles isn't the pinnacle of life. He also revealed that it takes a level of sacrifice that is really not easy to justify. And in each of those evolutions, Mick was earnest and sincere. He was sincerely Eugene, sincerely a dogged, tactical world champ, and sincerely a reflective, empathetic human being. We didn't discuss it in this conversation, but Mick now spends a lot of time working with charities. The very afternoon after we recorded this conversation, he was off to Alaska to work with Wild Ark on a wildlife conservation project. Everyone talks about Mick Fanning retiring this year, but it seems as though it's only a chapter that's closed, and he has plenty of work yet to come. You can find everything that Mick and I discussed in this episode on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Portions of his audio were pulled from Red Bull's film, Story of a Legend. Statistics and historical record were pulled from the Encyclopedia of Surfing at eos.surf and worldsurfleague.com. If you enjoyed this show, please share it with a friend. I'll continue producing the content if you help me double our audience size. I've spent four years cold calling and emailing people for interviews. In this particular case, Red Bull reached out to me for this one, so a larger audience will ensure more guests like Mick Fanning. Slater, where are you? We're coming. All right, don't forget that we're giving away the R-Series soft top from Almond Surfboards on September 1st. Thank you again for your support there. I will be back next week with Britt Merrick of Channel Island Surfboards. Until then, shred on. I ain't going out for a